You're listening to West Coast Water Justice, where we talk about water in the Western United States. I'm your host, Natalie Kilmer. In this episode, we follow up with Chief Colleen Sisk about the expansive watershed of the Sacramento River, from the headwaters of the Winnemumwaywocket all the way to the Bay Delta and the Pacific Ocean. We learn about the history of this one's epic fishery and what it will take to bring the salmon back home. My name is Colleen Sisk. I'm the chief of the Windu tribe from uh, Mount Shasta down the watershed. Thanks for being here, Chief Colleen. I'm wondering if you can tell us more about the salmon's journey all the way from the McLeod to the Golden Gate and other tributaries and tribes and folks helping out along the way. We're trying to do as much as we can for salmon. The other tribe that's doing quite a bit is the Nisanan Maidu on the Yuba Bear for salmon. But it's real difficult for us because, you know, we don't have uh, per se offices and staff and an income for, you know, a business. Most of our attorneys and people who help us are all pro bono, you know, (laughs) trying to get into these meetings when we're not even notified that they're happening because we're not on that federally recognized list. And many of the tribes that are on that list are gaming tribes. And they haven't really focused on the salmon anymore. So they're less apt to be (laughs) sign holders with us. And not many of the tribal councils, you'll get individual tribal members who care about these things and will stand at at events and, and speak at the water boards. But not many of the tribal councils have stepped up to do anything about, you know, the water uh, plans in California other than taking care of their own water issues. Through Run for Salmon, every confluence that we have, like in Sacramento, we stop at Discovery where the American River comes in and Wilton Rancheria and a couple of the other tribes have, have shown up and have listened to us and are now involved more with the the Delta plans because they are from there. You know, though, those Miwoks, uh, Shingle Springs has uh, recently joined in on these meetings on the Delta, which, you know, every tribe that joins in, it really helps change the demeanor because they're going to be digging through their village sites. You know, we're we're in it to protect our salmon. But it's their village sites that will also be dug up. And so it's a good thing, I think, that other tribes are coming about. But also because of Run for Salmon is a prayer journey. And it came from the springs to do this, to tell people of California what's happening. Not just that, you know, salmon swim in the river, but the river needs salmon. The river is getting clogged up. You wonder why climate change is changing? It's like it's like your uh, filter that gets full of stuff and it can't you know, blow cold air anymore. You have to empty that filter before it can breathe again and blow cold air. The riverbeds are the same. When those salmon come up and they dig their nests a, a foot and a half deep into the riverbed, it releases all of that sediments that got stuck there and the river can breathe 
it can send water out into groundwater systems. Groundwater systems can be refilled. And there's a whole system under the earth that most people don't think about. But these riverbeds, they are more healthy when they have salmon that are cleaning them. And if if you go down to the river when the salmon are running, you can see the difference where they have built their nest. It looks clean. The bottom of the river looks clean where they built that nest. And you'll look at other places because there's not enough salmon and there'll be debris on the bottom of the river. And because the rivers don't run strong in the wintertime, there's no other way, you know, usually the river itself gets scoured by the high waters that come down and clean the riverbed, clean it to the banks, and then it starts over again. But we've disrupted that system. The only thing we actually have hope for is the salmon that remain in the river. And right now, you know, we're messing with the salmon so much in the hatchery systems that, uh, you know, we're trucking them all the way to the ocean, which means those salmon are not coming back upstream. Livingston Stone from the hatchery, Baird Hatchery, told the, the federal government that there would be no need for a fish passage because he could produce enough salmon eggs, whatever was needed, that people could do that. They didn't, the salmon didn't need to get to their high country and spawn naturally. But of course, since then, the salmon have been on a steady decline. And if people go back to looking at reports and news of the time in 1948, 50, they would see major salmon kills at the bottom of the Shasta Dam where these fish cannot get up the river. They're built to go up river. They're going to do everything they can, include kill themselves, to get there. I know you all do the run for salmon. Is mm-hmm. there a movement to get a ladder, or is that something that you all want? Well, that yeah, that brings up another issue. I just want to give you all a little bit of background because we're going to be talking about biological opinions and different state water and federal water conveyance systems. So the Sacramento and San Joaquin River watersheds and Delta have a complicated series of dams and diversions that feed the state and federal Central Valley irrigation projects. The Shasta and Trinity dams are federal dams. While many of the other dams in the watersheds, such as the Feather, Pitt, and American Rivers, are either primarily part of the state water project or private PG&E dams. The state of California and the Federal Bureau of Reclamation manage flows, irrigation water deliveries through water operation plans, and a complicated water right system. These operations are subject to the Endangered Species Act, Biological Opinions for Endangered Species, such as winter and spring run salmon and delta smelt. Recent biological opinions have not only estimated how much water can be diverted without species in the rivers below the diversions going extinct, but they also have called for the return of winter run salmon to their traditional habitats upstream of these dams, such as the McLeod River. This is because spring run and winter run salmon traditionally use the upper reaches of the cold tributaries of the Delta watershed. All their spawning habitat has been blocked by dams. Unfortunately, these biological opinions 
have been subject to political interference by several presidents, and many of the runs of endangered salmon have been killed over the last 10 years. And fish passage efforts have not moved forward. There was a biological opinion that was given in 2009, I believe. We were a part of that. And the biological opinion included getting Chinook salmon above five rim dams to help restore salmon runs as part of that opinion. So Shasta Dam is one of the dams. Feather River is also another area that they're to get salmon above the rim dam, right? So since then, there have been movements to uh, look at how do we restore salmon above the rim dams were in meetings with the Bureau of Reclamation, the Department of Water Resources, and the California Fish and Game, as well as U.S. Fisheries, about how to do this. And there are some projects that they want to do. You know, they want to build an apparatus to see if they can catch fish coming out because they can't get in their heads that you need a waterway. And they're still thinking, we're going to truck and haul them, which if truck and haul worked, we wouldn't need to get above the rim dams. Wow, they want to truck and haul the salmon up above, like, Shasta. Yeah, as if that works. But we are proposing that there is a natural waterway. There's about three miles of the stream bed that would need to be modified for salmon to swim in and out of the lake. And so that's why we're involved with the rim dam idea of restoring salmon. And, you know, we did a war dance at Shasta Dam in 2004. We heard from New Zealand that they had our McLeod River salmon. We've gone to New Zealand and we dance with the salmon and we have the relationship with the Naitahu Maori people and the New Zealand Fish and Game, who are all supportive of returning the salmon to the McLeod River and establishing the fishery again. But we have the U.S. to deal with, and they're not sure that this is the right thing to do. They, they have a lot of testing to do, but two years ago, New Zealand emailed me and said, we have 400,000 eyed eggs. Do you want them? And it's like, yeah, I want them. But the U.S. Customs probably won't let me bring them in because the U.S. fisheries are going to be opposed, as well as California's state fisheries will be opposed. And we have all these things to jump over to get them on board to say, this strain of salmon from New Zealand has the DNA from the McLeod River and will bring back a strain of fish that doesn't exist in California anymore, but could help other salmon and lead the way for the volitional passages to be established. And I don't know what resistance to creating volitional passages because they say it's expensive, but losing all the salmon and putting them on the endangered species list and supporting all these fish hatcheries ideas from shooting these little fish out of airplanes <laughs> to doing the cannon, the salmon cannons to get them over the dams 
is like, why not just build the volitional passages? How did New Zealand get your local salmon? And how do you know that none exist where you live? Uh, because we go to the McLeod River and there's no salmon. <laughs> <laughs> so how did they find that in New Zealand? They shipped them there in the 1880s, 1890s, uh, even up to 1900. Um, there were, uh, like I said, like I said before, there was a fish shortage in uh, the United States and they were shipping them, you know, they even shipped them to the Mississippi river where they all immediately died because they're not Atlantic salmon. And uh, New Zealand in those days and age, it, it was a bird Island. And so they were kind of taking in different things to make New Zealand um, more tourist friendly. And so they wanted the salmon so the salmon was taken from the Baird fish hatchery, put into special uh, containers that were built for these hatchery fish and packed with moss and put on a ship and sent to New Zealand. On the way to New Zealand, they had to stop in Hawaii to get ice from Mauna Kea so that the eggs would continue to, to last on the trip to New Zealand. And they did that at least three times and distributed in the Rokai River and some of the other Waitaki River until they took. And then they didn't really care what runs they were. They were just packing eggs. And so New Zealand ended up with more than, you know, they, they might have shipped them in the fall, but they weren't all fall run salmon. And so they have different runs of salmon in, in New Zealand where they never had salmon before. And they're in the South Island where our salmon are. And they have documents showing that these salmon came from the McLeod River. And they have no, no doubt about it that they're willing to ship eggs back to establish an, the run again so that if anything ever happened to their run, there would be an identical river. On that note, like I was reading that the salmon in the population in the Sacramento this year mostly died. The I think the juveniles, you probably know more than me, but I'm wondering if you're kind of bracing that maybe the Sacramento might be the weak stock in three years, because is that how long it takes for them to come back? I mean, in the old days, even when I was a kid, it was like four to five, maybe seven years before a salmon would come back and they would be bigger. You know, right now they're like uh, a 30 or 30 to 40 pound fish is considered a big fish. But when I was a kid, 60 pound fish were coming up the river. And even we had pictures of some of our elders with 100 pound fish on the river. And on Battle Creek, about uh, 10 years ago, they found a 85-pound salmon as a carcass, so weighing more in, in life. So, you know, we're, we've already uh, systematically reduced, reduced the number and the size of salmon. So... <laughs> And that's through the hatchery process. I mean, the mistakes that were made in the hatchery system because people were handling salmon 
They didn't want to lift up a hundred pound salmon and milk it onto the eggs so that they would keep the variations of sizes and, and strength of salmon viable. Instead, they started lifting the same size salmon because that was more comfortable. That was easier. They made mistakes by filling a bucket of eggs and then trying to milk, you know, five different male onto the eggs, thinking they were getting a diverse uh, population of salmon, when in fact, the first sperm that goes into the eggs fertilize all of them. doesn't matter if you put more sperm on them, they're not going to, they're already fertilized. And so then they started, you know, being able to mix the sperm before they put it on the egg. So you see the number of mistakes and how many years that took. And so now we have this inferior population of salmon that are raised in hatcheries. They don't really know what to eat. They're fed at a certain time every day. The people decide what they're going to eat, you know, if it's going to be soy or what what's in their food. And most of that food floats. And so these little fish learn to eat by coming up to the top and eating, which makes them vulnerable to any flyers, you know, birds that a fish. It makes them susceptible to that. They're in these tanks, so they never really develop the, the muscle structure to be quicker than other species that are going to be catching them or swimming after them. They don't have any sense of the river bottom, where to hide or what to hide from. So, you know, they're handicapped straight out of the gate of the truck, <laughs> I guess. They're trucked to the rivers. And people decide when they're going to be trucked. How big are they? Are they three inches? Are they two inches? And then where they put them, and they've made a number of mistakes about bringing truckloads of salmon, dumping them into a place, and then the cormorants or the pike minnow or whatever the, the predator is will be waiting for them. You know, and right now, there is a number of two-year-old, three-year-old bass swimming in the Sacramento River that outnumber the number of uh, fry that they're putting in. Or, you know, a bass can eat up the 20, 25 salmon. Oh, what's fry? I don't know that. A fry is a baby fish. A baby salmon or just any fish? A baby salmon. Okay. So they, they put them in the river. Because it's like we tell them that this, the fish have to swim all the way in from the ocean. They can't be given a ride and then them knowing where they're going. Because when salmon swim in, they're leaving a trail in the water, per se, to where they go. And McLeod River fish uh, won't go up the American, it won't go up the Feather River. It's not going to leave that system until it gets to the McLeod. And the same with the Feather River fish. They're not going to swim all the way up to the McLeod. You know, they're going to turn right there at Feather River. That's how they're built. Okay, so but then none are able to even make it up to the McLeod at this point because there's no passage. Right. And we have all these hatcheries. But none of the fish are able to make it above any of the rim dams. Feather River, you know, the Oroville Dam, the Yuba Bear, <laughs> all of these have dams on them. 
And so the fish normally now just swim back to the hatchery. And the hatchery doesn't allow the fish to go up upstream like Battle Creek Hatchery is off of the Sacramento River up here. And when that hatchery is not open, they close the gates so that the fish cannot swim further up Battle Creek to spawn. They have to swim into the pools of the hatchery. And when the pools are full, those fish just keep swimming in that gate until, you know, the bottom ones die. But, you know, people don't really have the science. That's one of the issues that I have is like in the Delta, the Delta is so sensitive and so necessary. And it's the largest estuary on the Pacific coast that you cannot try to do this and not think you're destroying it. If you're going to put a tunnel 150 feet deep into the delta bottom, and if you change the balances of what's necessary in the delta by cutting off the water, fresh water coming in, it's not going to work anymore. I mean, right now, the estuary only gets like 20% of the river water in a good year. And that 20%, you know, is down 80% of what it used to get. Right. You're talking about the Delta and that encompasses like the watersheds of all the tributaries for the Sacramento and the San Joaquin. Yes. So you're concerned that diverting more water away from the Delta could have an impact on salmon health. It seems like restoring salmon fisheries in Northern California could be more lucrative than much of the farming and certainly better for the environment. Yes. And yet they're willing to ship that water, to export that water to GMO farmers in the desert, growing products that never really reach the California public and doesn't really feed America. You know, you have all these other farmers that are the real farmers that provide the diversity of produce and they are the backbone of California who don't qualify for all the subsidies that Westlands and all of those farmers are eligible for. And then when you look at the California budget, you'll see that agriculture is not the supporting industry of why California is the fifth largest industry or economy system in the world. The United States is first and California is the fifth. So in between there, there's a few countries (laughs) that make more money than California does. But agriculture is not the backbone of why California is in that position. And in fact, it's only like maybe 5% of the economy. And most of it goes out of the state. Yet people in California are like, oh yeah, you know, we got to support our farmers. And it's like, they're in the guise of farmers, but they are not. We do need to support our farmers. They are driving farmers out of business. And in these drought years, if you look at their production, you will see that they have not They have not been hurt by drought. In fact, some of their highest profits are during the droughts where most of us are cutting back 20% water use. 
they are making a big profit. How does that happen? It's a story that most California people don't really realize. It's like there's a romantic story about farming and supporting the farmers because we all benefit, not realizing that these guys are big ag business. Totally different from a farmer who cares about the land. The California people have to have information somewhere about how this is going because those big ag companies are using 80% of the water. So what do you want the general public to know about protecting these amazing waterways and biodiversity? The good people of California have to get educated about these water systems and knowledgeable about the economic benefits to the California people. Agriculture has not been really friendly to California. You know, when you come up the Sacramento River, you'll have agriculture on the sides. There is no regulations for them to put water back into the river that has been filtered. They should filter out all of their chemicals and their fertilizers before they discharge that back into the Sacramento River. But you can go up the river and see the discharges that are happening. You know, it's like chocolate water coming into the river. Someone must have told them that so many parts per billion is fine for people downriver to drink that. And I don't think people realize that the water systems are not taken care of in the best way because under these towns are old water pipes that leak a lot of water and should be replaced. Also that there is a lot of runoff from the towns directly into the river system that are contaminated and harmful for the river, including sanitation systems that were built for a town. Maybe that town existed, you know, 50, 60, 100 years ago. And that sewer system was built for a certain number of people in that area. And as that grew, that sewer system did not grow with it in accurate terms. And so the holding ponds are not really big enough. They're not managed enough. And if it rains heavily, those ponds fill and they release the water before it's time, before they should be releasing. So there's a number of things that need to be upgraded for the sanitation systems. And, and you know, I always say, stop building so close to the water. Those agriculture orchards, you should not see them when you're on the river. They should be at least 150 yards back from the river so that the runoff isn't constant once it rains. A lot of simple stuff that people don't want to hear. So revamping a lot of our infrastructure, it sounds like, to be more responsible. And, and getting some regulations on new housing. People should learn to live with less water pressure. Like stop running one inch pipe into a house because, you know, they need the water pressure. Most of that water goes down the drain. They're waiting for hot water. And all the cold water that comes first goes down the drain. All that's drinkable water. They could be using gray water for toilets. They could rechannel water that you're just wasting, waiting for the hot water 
into another system that could be used in your garden. We're just wasteful of water. We don't, we don't really, we're not at that place, but we're going to be there. I know you guys have a gray water system up there. Yeah. You know, and that's the other problem too, is like low income communities. We are already at the bottom use of water. And for the governor to come in and say, you know, you got to cut back by 20%. 20% is like, I don't know where we're going to cut. We don't have lawns. We don't have swimming pools. We don't have farms. We don't have cattle. You know, we don't wash our car all the time. We don't even take showers all the time. And so you're going to ask this community cut back 20% or we have to pay more. Right now we're having to pay more because we can't cut back anymore. We're already at the bottom. That's a really important point. We definitely need to target the biggest users. Are there some resources you can share with our listeners so they can learn more and help out? Yeah, that would be great. We do have a website. We also have Facebook page, Winnemum Wintu Tribe. We have a Run for Salmon Facebook page that you can learn about those uh, activities and trips and the things that we're doing. That'll happen in July again. But also Restore the Delta has a lot of good information about the California water plans and how it affects local farmers, especially in the Stockton area. Also, Save California Salmon. Yeah, so if people want to participate in the comment periods, how do they do that? Well, they can go on to the Department of Water Resources. They usually publish online comment periods for what they're talking about. Okay, but basically we need to get on the government website. Yep, care about it. Even if you don't know all the history and you don't know all the regulations and permit permitting and the history of what is happening or even a future plan of it, is that if you don't make a comment during the time, you don't reserve your right to sue them later when you do figure it out. It seems intimidating to speak up at one of those meetings, but it sounds really important after talking with you. Yes, it is very important. We should be flooding them. I just want to thank you so much for your time and all of the history that you shared with us and expertise and all the work you're doing to help protect our watersheds here in California. So thank you so much. You bet. Thanks to all the listeners and hopefully they have gotten something out of it and will make it known. You've been listening to West Coast Water Justice. Produced by me, Natalie Kilmer. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. The music is from the album Now That's What I Call Surf by Tony Bald, Adam Anigias, and Danny Snyder. <laughs>